Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Through the Keyhole and OU Fan Podcast. I'm workshopping something a little bit there. I don't think it landed the way I wanted it to, but I am Peyton Guthrie, uh, your host. I'm joined with Alan the Brain Kenny and Matt the Body Burden. <laughs> We're going full WWE wrestling style here. Um, we're uh, our job here through the Keyhole Podcast is talk about OU football. We also have a Patreon that you can join us at patreon.com uh, slash through the keyhole, where we have a weekly um, podcast and some uh, small written parts. And as we crank up towards the season, we have more and more content uh, on there. We'd love for you to join us. And as always, we are powered, brewed, fueled by Vanessa House down at Automobile Alley in Oklahoma City. Uh, stop by there. It's a great place to get some uh, locally brewed uh, beer and seltzers as well as play video game tournaments. And I think recently they posted about hosting some D&D campaigns. So it's a nerd central, but it's a cool <laughs> place to be. Uh, without further ado, Alan, Matt, how's it going? How's your week been going? Feel some, feel, feel some air for me, Alan. <laughs> yeah, no, man, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I uh, was uh, out and about last weekend, but uh, was able, got back home and uh, chilled out for the last weekend. You know, not really, honestly, not that much. I want to check out the new Predator movie, uh, but uh, haven't got a chance yet. Um, you know, that's my life these days. It's pretty exciting, man. Yeah, Prey is something I haven't had a chance to, to really dive into it. I'm wanting to give myself, I mean, as you get older, you keep thinking, oh, I'll have a two hour block to watch a movie. And yeah. <laughs> you have no time to do that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but as the youngest one on, on the podcast, Matt, how many times have you watched Prey and did you like it? I have not watched Prey yet. I have not. Uh, again, I also haven't had time either. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've just been chilling this weekend, man. I did. Uh, the morning show last weekend or last week. So uh, that kind of took it out of me a little bit. Oh yeah. Uh, so I needed, I needed some downtime before uh, I'm filling in again on the morning show this week. So uh, no sleep till, you know, till Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Till Brooklyn. Exactly. Yeah. I was trying to think of a cool, uh, of a better city than Brooklyn, but, um, but yeah, so no sleep for me, a little sleep deprivation uh, going to be fueling me. Love that. We'd love to see it. And I'm not a coffee drinker. So Early mornings are, uh, I'm just not a fan. Yeah, it, it's 6.37 right now as we're recording. I'm currently drinking coffee. Uh, and then at noon, I had a Red Bull, <laughs> a sugar-free Red Bull. I'm a caffeine addict. I'm, I don't. My heart will give out by 50, but I need to try to figure out <laughs> how to wean off this stuff. 
Um, but Matt, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You're getting a host of the morning show and stuff. It's just keep getting the reps in. We got to give it, you some man. Brent Venables talk, stack the days. That's all <laughs> it is. That's all it is. And then I, you know, I have that video saved. Anytime I think I'm doing good, I have Brent. It ain't good enough. It ain't good enough. It's never good enough. Exactly. Do you have a lot of, keep, do you have a lot of like morning show bits, you know, like uh, where you're like some offensive character, you know, or like, right you know, now. you're honking a horn or anything like that. I try to stay away from the offensive character bits. I try to stay away from that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'm assuming we're going to talk about morning radio. I'm assuming there is, I mean, do you guys have to do any sort of like utility, uh, utility type stuff? Cause it is the morning drive. So do you have to be like, and by the way, the uh, 40s a little backed up, all that type of stuff. Or oh, just, yeah, we had one. We had one the other week where, yeah, no, it was uh, or we had one last week where, yeah, I-44 westbound. Don't go. To, don't go there. Semi, <laughs> semi was jackknifed. So we had a listener tweet in and I was like, yeah, I got to got to let the people know, you know, if you're, if you're heading <laughs> I-44 westbound. Uh, you're about to have a long morning. But, yeah, no, do that. The morning show is pretty cool because, like, I mean, we get our most like listener engagement and interaction whenever we just BS about nothing. Basically, like, <laughs> like the people in the morning are like, yeah, that's fine. You can talk about sports, whatever. But we, we listen to the guys later in the show that talk about sports. We want to hear you guys talk about, you know, cool sports jerseys or like something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's something like uh, I've talked about before. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little, uh, as they call for. Uh, oh, damn, I'm trying to find it for. Um, uh, the Tony Kornheiser show, they talk about absolutely nothing every single day on the podcast. Yeah. And they get so many emails and so many people, and I'm doing it too. Like I've sent in emails about um, for a while there, people were sitting in their morning commutes and they'd say, I make a right turn, left turn, left turn, right turn straight. And I'm at the office. <laughs> <laughs> You'd just be reading those out. <laughs> and it's just so hilarious. Uh, and you kept getting like bags of peanuts and stuff at his house. It's so very funny. This how you can build a community that way. Um, and if you want to send us uh, your daily commute, you can do that at uh, keyholesports at gmail.com. Uh, I'll start checking that. Uh, right now, all I get is like spam emails in that account. But we do have don't, an don't send, account. No, don't send us your commute. Send us something don't better send the, than that. Something, something way cool. Yeah, something like your your, uh, your best uh, barbecue recipes. We can forward those all to Lincoln Riley. Uh, <laughs> So breaking down, we're a little we're a little shade under a month uh, until it's football time in Oklahoma. Uh, hopefully that's not copyrighted. Um, and we're going to start breaking down some stuff here. First, we're going to start off with the side of the side of the ball, in which we seem to think um, is somewhat handled by the new hire of Brent Venables as the head coach of Oklahoma football. Now this is strange because over the last what like eight ten years, the defense has been the reason why Oklahoma is not reached the mountaintop and now everyone kind of seems to think this is going to get buttoned up pretty soon uh so we decided we'll start with the uh defensive side of the football where brent venables and ted roof bringing in a new system todd bates bringing in a new defensive scheme defensive line scheme hopefully and getting some uh getting some meat on these boys as a uh, biggie would say from the w from the wwe we're going to continue this um just big meaty men slapping meat just big boys being big boys <laughs> uh Alan, you had a recent article on uh, the Crimson Creed breaking down the defensive line and what you're expecting to see out of it. You you mind walking us through a little oh. bit about what you're wanting to, how you're wanting to see this? What what are you looking forward to see? Oh yeah, sure. No, well, yeah, it was an article that went up on Crimson and Cream Machine this week, and basically, I mean, I just tried to kind of look at the the nuts and bolts of what 
Brent Venables likes to do with the defensive line, how it kind of, you know, compares to what you've seen uh, from OU, from uh, OU under, you know, Alex Grinch. And it's, it's funny because, you know, defensive line, we, we talk about line schemes um, and, and people talk about, you know, say like a four down front versus a three down front. And, and they think of it in terms of, well, how many guys are actually putting a hand in the dirt up front, you know, but really uh, it, it kind of goes beyond that to, um, you know, wondering, looking at, are you attacking, you know, single gaps in between the uh, offensive linemen? Are you uh, running two gap techniques, trying to, um, you know, occupy a blocker with your, uh, with your defensive lineman? And, you know, I mean, that that also kind of speaks to when people talk about when you hear coaches talk about defensive coordinators talking about wanting to be multiple, you know, I mean, what does that really even mean? Um, you know, but, you know, if you're talking about it in terms of setting the front or what have you, I mean, Brent Venables really is a prefers a multiple approach. Uh, you'll see, you know, his defenses come out generally lining up and, uh, you know, kind of four down. Uh, single gap attacking kind of style. Uh, but, you know, there's definitely plenty of room there to run like a, a tight front where maybe you've got, uh, you know, a nose and then, you know, two defensive ends kind of uh, occupying that the uh, the tackles. Maybe uh, you might get a, a, even a two down set where, uh, you know, you got two guys there in the interior and then maybe two stand up linebackers rushing off the edges. Um, I mean, Venables is truly a there when people ask like, oh, well, well, what's Venables scheme? It's hard to say, hard to kind of pick out one thing, you know, because of all the different looks that he's giving. I think the one thing like, yeah, you're right. Scheme wise is going to be very, very multiple. Um, I do want to I do want to say he's he obviously is preferred to be in a four down line. That, right. that does seem to be the obvious what he wants to do. And I think the thing that we're going to see. Um, that, that's going to be a major difference is that just look at Jalen Redmond in 2021. It was uh, just, just, just a hair under 280. And now according to Oklahoma's official uh, roster of uh, for the next year, he's apparently grown an inch. He's went from six, two to six, three. <laughs> and also he's at uh, now just under 300. So he's gone right. from 280 to 300 basically. And it seems like that's just a concerned effort across the board. Um, less slashing, less like being small and to kind of squeeze through the gaps and be disruptive that way, and more being disruptive. That's be you know basically being able to blow somebody up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. To a certain degree, more just being big humans. Do you do you think that part of it? In you know either one of you can chime in here. Do you think that part of it is going to take some time? Where I mean, Grinch obviously wanted to generate a ton of pressure via the defensive line. Brent doesn't seem to be that kind of guy where it's like my defensive end is going to be leading in sacks, you know, interior stuff. Like he doesn't seem that it seems like your job is to hold this line and cause chaos by moving people around to a certain degree. Not necessarily too, not necessarily too gapping. I know that's, you know, forbidden mm -hmm. in the Oklahoma. Mindset. <laughs> uh, but enough to be able to, it's like, okay, this guy, Jalen Redmond now, at 300 pounds, and I remember Bill Conley would tweet year after year saying, is OU really going to try to stop the run with no one over 300 on the defensive line? Um, you know, 
dictating that these guys need double teams so these linebackers and safeties can kind of shoot these gaps and, and really be chaos things. Do you think that something like that we're going to see maybe the scheme is still being learned, but you're going to see a noticeable change in physicality and maybe just how, how they play like immediately. Is that what you, is that something you guys are going to look at for the two first quote unquote practice games against Kent state and UTEP? Well, I mean, to a degree. Yeah. But there's another kind of, kind of thing, uh, you know, aspect of that too, that is interesting to me in terms of like, it's hard for me to watch uh, Venable's, defensive lines and necessarily pick out like what are the rules or how are they setting the fronts you know i mean are they in- intentionally trying to set uh, set stuff to the field do they try to uh you know always have the uh nose you know playing a, a one tech to the to the uh field or are they going with over and under fronts i think what you're seeing you mentioned for example redmond right getting up from 280 298 i mean that's kind of across the board what you're seeing yeah. with the defensive with the defensive line on the is I mean on the interior and then on you know you got a different body type there on the edges but you know it's the kind of thing though where you can kind of roll you know you can move Isaiah Co from you know shading on the nose over to a three tech if you wanted to or you can you know uh Redmond can come out and playing their right you know maybe on the uh to the boundary right over the nose or the next the next snap he's lined up you know in that in that three tech position um there's it seems to be body type wise you know looking for some flexibility there in those two spots matt what about you what are you expecting just an immediate like tone setting difference from the defensive line or do you think it's going to be still more kind of figuring out this this scheme situation Man, uh, I want I want to believe that it, they're going to be more physical. I mean, it's going to be kind of hard not to be. I think the biggest thing for me is like, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that Jalen Redmond is these guys, but you look at when OU's defense was, I mean, the best it's been. Like, I mean, you have a dominant like defensive tackle. You have Tommy Harris. You have Gerald McCoy. Like, you have guys at Dusty Dvorak where you you have to double team them, or else they're going to cause they're going to just be in the backfield all day. So I think I'm not saying Jalen Redmond is any, is those guys, like those guys were first round picks, like for a reason, like, Mm -hmm. especially like Joe McCoy, like, but if you can get some of that, where I think we've seen flashes from Jalen Redmond, where he can be extremely special. And not only that, like that kid, that kid is insanely athletic not only he's going to be at 298 or 300 pounds, we'll just call him even 300. Like, I mean, he's insanely athletic at 300 still too. So if they can have that, I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is maybe the linebackers making more plays than what we've seen rather than, you know, except for let's say a Kenneth Murray or the last three games of Brian Asamoah last year. Like I'm looking forward to the linebackers getting, getting more involved and stopping the run as well. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at just uh, Alan Kenny on, on uh, the, on the uh, crimson cream machine.com uh, the article he has uh, had up he has a uh, list of the tackles who will play in interior kelly johnson isaiah Coe, josh ellison Corey robertson uh, jalen redmond and then uh, kevin gilliam uh, not a single person not a single player is under 290 at this point in time mm-hmm. all across the board johnson being at 313 so if you've got 313 uh you know johnson starting and you've got redmond starting your two tackles you're big in the middle all of a sudden 
uh, just just in a difference of like what six months these guys have put on stuff and if you start looking at the line and you can i mean on the defensive end like i've been hearing more news about ethan downs obviously he was picked to go out there uh and mm-hmm. represent uh, ou but him being at 6'4 263 already and you see like the difference like you know like marcus stripling at 6'3 241 i mean there's just you can tell there's there's shading to these bigger body types to say okay we're going to hold the line here um and then also with uh, uh the hawaii transfer uh, jonah being at 6'5 270 i mean it does look like if you if you were to trot out uh how do you say his last name? Jonah's last name? Laulu. Laulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, him, uh, Downs, uh, Redman, and, and Johnson. Your your lightest guy is two sixty three at that point in time. Yeah, at times when when like Grimes or a two seventy would have been like the heaviest person on the defensive line is now looking like the second lightest. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that's the stuff to where maybe scheme kind of looks the same because I, I know that's kind of a scary scary thought for a lot of OU fans is that once they trot out, it's really not going to look that much difference, except that that edge guy won't be a two point stance more than mm-hmm. likely for, for most of it, but you're going to see a lot of the same movement stuff. It's just going to be bigger across the board. Um, and, and what you've mentioned in, it's really cool. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like you're going back to big boy football. Yeah. That was my take on it too, that, there's going to be more in kind of like, I guess the best way to put it would be rigidity, particularly there on the edges. I mean, you know, you don't have a guy with Nick Benito's kind of um, ability, you know, to move laterally or to uh, potentially drop into coverage, you know, I mean, and honestly, there were a few times there during the spring game, for example, I was going back and, you know, they'd roll out in, in like a tight front where they put say, um, Jeff Jeffrey Johnson on the nose and then Redmond playing one defensive end and then the other defensive end being like Jonah Laulu. And then they'd pull uh, Reggie Grimes out and have him playing kind of, you know, like a, you know, almost midway between the slot receiver and uh, in the uh, end of the edge of the run box there at the tackle. And I mean, I don't know. It, it just Grimes looks so out of place because he's 270 pounds out there. You know, um, I don't know if that's going to be the kind of thing. I mean, I don't know who, if they have guys who they can rotate in that could do that. You know, maybe more, it's more of a uh, thing for like, say, a Marcus Stripling, who's, you know, playing at probably around the 240 range. Uh, they might be able to do that more with him. But I do feel like even though there's not going to be that level of flexibility there, they will be sturdier, right? Like they'll, there will be more kind of going toe to toe uh, with offensive linemen, as opposed to uh, so much of what, you know, Grinch did being predicated on shooting gaps and disrupting that way. Yeah. That's something that always bothered me with the Grinch style defense. And I'm all about, the havoc i do like the havoc numbers i do like that about mm-hmm. grinch's defenses i was a big fan of that but at a certain point in time you have to be able to buck up and, and maintain you know the line of scrimmage that just has to happen and when oh you would play against bigger stouter offensive line that's when you kind of got into some issues at times that's when OU had issues with the Kansas State, with the Iowa States, who say, hey, we're going to play corn-fed bully ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who cares if you're doing a havoc? We're running at you with eight blockers. I mean, so it kind of put OU in those back foot type situations. 
I just I don't think that's going to be happening as much. I, I seem I'm pretty sure we'll all agree. OU moving forward. I don't think you're going to see OU getting bullied around, playing too high, like you know, like mm-hmm. P Ryan, not P Ryan, uh, uh Winfrey, Perry on Winfrey. Obviously, very talented, very skilled, but he just was he was very skilled at a certain type of thing. Right. I, I think we're gonna see more guys being a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So let's let's step on back. Um rotate back a little bit matt you're talking about the linebackers i had uh, ryan chapman on uh this past friday for the patreon uh subscribers for four dollars a month you can listen to uh, our patreon podcast uh and he talked about maybe there being some concern at the linebacker position uh, a media day had talked to brent venable saying hey there's a lot of experience in this linebacker room uh are you excited about that and brent's answer was i don't know if i'd call that experience but they're doing what they need to do and they're moving forward. I don't know if that is Brent not understanding how to speak like a head coach yet <laughs> and maybe <laughs> giving us too much of a window into the room, but it does seem to be, it's a, uh, can Deshaun white step up the question we've been asking for three years and who's going to be playing next to him. Do you have any thoughts on that kind of stuff? I mean, is it, is it those two? Is, is it those two are bust or are we looking at, you know, David Aguebu, uh, Stutzman, somebody else stepping up next to White to kind of pull that stuff in. And then who's playing that cheetah position? Who's playing that wheel linebacker? For me, I, I think – I okay, so one about Brent Venables saying that. I think that he's – he. I mean, he is like the linebacker's coach. Like right. He is – like, I think he is going to be harder on those guys than, than anyone else because that's his deal. Like that's – he is so hands-on with the linebackers. So like, and we all, we all, we joked about it earlier that it ain't good enough. You know, like that's, <laughs> I think that's definitely going to be him. He also said something about Danny Stutzman too, um, kind of to the effect of, I think this was Danny Stutzman saying this at their uh, media day, basically like Brent said, you know, that he was a good player, but it's watching his film. He could tell that he's not as prepared as he needs to be basically is what kind of what he said. And so, I think Danny Stutzman's going to be in the film room a lot with old, uh, with old BV. Um, but yeah, I would assume, yeah, I would assume it'd be some combination of Deshaun White, Aguebu, and Stutzman. Like, uh, I think David Aguebu losing what, like 15 pounds, probably he's down to 237 now. He's at like 250 last year. Um, I think that's, I think that's awesome for him. I'm, I'm sure he probably feels a lot better, a lot more mobile um at the at this weight than he was last year um I would I would stick with Deshaun White but man I I love Danny Stetsman man he just I've talked about this before but he he would miss last year like he would miss on some plays but he's missing going 100 miles an hour like he is missing going full speed full tilt not like if he gets blocked he's not oh I'm out of the play he's he is going for it like I think there's something there with Danny Stutzman. We we all see it. I'm not like, I'm not breaking any news here. So I think any version of those three, I I would be okay with. And who plays the cheetah position? Honestly, man, I I would be, I, I would be sh- not shocked because I mean I'm sure he probably wants some experience out there. But I think Jaron Cannett gets some run at that spot. Just I mean, dude can fly and he's built like <laughs> I mean he is a linebacker. So I mean he's built. Um, he's built for it. So I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get some run there. Yeah. The cheetah position is really interesting to me because, you know, 
that's more of like a, a strong side linebacker, like a Sam backer. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, Venables has also incorporated a lot of um, three safety looks too in the past that he picked up, you know, from uh, Iowa state, that, that whole kind of thing. So it almost, it, it kind of raises the question of what type, what, what body type does he want there? Um, you know, you look at a guy like Canick, you mentioned, um, I mean, what is he checking in at? I mean, physically, six, two, the guy's, two, 20. six two two twenty, right? So yeah. you've got that versus like, say a guy like, oh, I don't know, uh, Justin Broyles, for example, is probably closer to like 190, right? I mean, so, you know, you're talking, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, and that's probably a, closer to like 510. Yeah. I yeah. mean, so we're talking about significant physical differences in skill sets in those positions like can can it cover well enough at that size to uh do what they're looking for out there now the nice part is one of the nice parts is that um i mean venables doesn't really treat that like a slot corner right i mean no. you're going to be doing a lot more playing more zone uh you know uh, counting on you to be in the bit more involved in the run fits so, you know, maybe that's where a guy like Canick, uh, you know, does have that that role to play. But, you know, we we've also seen, you know, the, those kinds of positions struggle, you know, when it comes to uh, to covering. So I, I, I'm more interested almost in finding out what he thinks that position, what kind of player needs to be there uh, when we when we get down to it. Yeah, I could see that position speaking about the cheetah position specifically being kind of held down early by uh, Shane Witter and can it kind of like splitting time there before um, can it kind of fully takes over, but they're both learning this defense from scratch to a certain degree. They're both installing this stuff. Um, I've just, we've just been sold this idea of, of Witter being like the fastest player on the team <laughs> uh, for a couple of years now. It's like, well, that you need sp- speed at that position. And we all know can it, I mean, I, I, uh, at the point in time, former co-host Keegan and I just completely losing our, our minds over how fast, uh, you know, the hundred meter time is for Canik as well. So obviously has that speed, but six, two, 220 versus six, one, uh, six foot, two twenty five, you're going to have a little bit more beef there. And that type of player is going to want to get his nose, you know, into that grind. Um, you've talked about maybe like a true nickelback type position. Yeah. Justin Broyles, something like that if you're playing against more of a, let's just say TCU this year, who does seem to maybe the full adoption of the air raids come back to Fort Worth. I don't know if you're going to be able to survive playing that cheetah position as much against those type of teams that are going to go four wide, five wide. And something like that could be something you see uh, Justin Boyles, but a name that I think we, the, the perfect world would be you'd see a, a, a Jaden Rowe there at six two two eighteen himself listed as a defensive back mm-hmm. <laughs> for the university of Oklahoma. And that seems to be that that perfect blend of both worlds where you have that, you don't really lose the size, but he does play and is built, you know, body-wise more like a defensive back. The thing yeah, is that yeah. we're hoping two true freshmen right. <laughs> play two very integral parts in a Brent Venable super complicated defense. And see, that's why I kind of wonder if – you're going to see someone who's closer to a safety playing that position this year because you've got – you know, older, more experienced guys like, uh, like would you throw you know, in like maybe a Trey Morrison too? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Morris is more not like big, a nickelback but... corner. Type, yeah, exactly. But, but still, I feel like your corners are going to be, I mean, like Woody Washington, DJ Graham, like, and then, and, down, or, or C, like CJ Colden from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he's been getting a lot of love. So, like, I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like corners locked down. So maybe you find a guy like Trey Morrison, like, like you said, like in more of a more playing more like three safeties and him just mm-hmm. him just bringing some experience and more in coverage. Yeah, you know, the guy who, if he could put it together, man, Justin Harrington, 6'3", 208, can run. Like, that's the guy that I look at out there and think, man, like, physically, that's got to be what they're looking for, Um, you know, in terms of a guy who can cover and uh, play some and run support, too. So, that's, I think, if anything, like, if you hear, if you start hearing a lot of good stuff about Harrington, you know, coming from the coaches in the next couple of weeks, like I'd take that as a good sign. Like that's the kind of guy you want to win that job. Just, just based on what I'm seeing. I'm, I always get worried about, you know, relying too much on freshmen. Uh, I, you know, that's just maybe that, and maybe that's just my own kind of uh, bias there. But the one, and the one guy that keeps getting brought up that I don't know if I, if I'm a buyer on though is Witter. And I say that because, it seems like they feel I, I haven't seen him playing much at all in the more in the covered spots out there on the edges. He seems to be, they seem pretty set on having him in the interior, but um, what, I mean, there's still room obviously to move him around. Yeah. I was just kind of going based on just like past performance stuff like that. I totally forgot that he had been kind of shifted inside for that spring game. And mm-hmm. I didn't know how much of that was just that the draft style where you only have a certain amount of body types and stuff. You don't right, have a full yeah. complement and everything like that. Like, was he playing out of position? And like you even said, like, even some of the defensive linemen or offensive linemen, probably not playing their optimal positions in, yeah. the, in a spring game setting like that. Um, as we say, like, uh, you know, Texas didn't even have that type of thing, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I do want to say something. I want to preface this very quickly because I've already complained about it to some friends offline with o- the OU – uh, media world we can't keep retweeting pictures of football players going oh man look how jacked they are they're d1 athletes yeah. <laughs> athletes playing for the university of oklahoma they all they've always been jacked <laughs> but billy bowman does seem to look like a different human being uh in the in some of the videos and stuff that i've seen him uh myself and you can see that he's probably bought into that and i'm not totally I haven't given up on the Billy Bowman uh, experiment. Uh, hopefully he gets to play one position and not be moved around a whole bunch. Um, I do have some bad lasting images of him <laughs> getting kind of like dusted and smoked and they kind of given me some, uh, some booky kind of flashbacks, but I'm hoping that in that type of environment now up to 190, um and all defensive backs honestly have, you know, key Lawrence 204, everybody's big, everybody's big across the board. Uh, you've, you know, even these freshmen coming in like Robert Spears Jennings at 208 already. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone seems to be above uh, 180 out there. Um, it, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting how this, how this kind of really plays out. Uh, be honest with you. Um, but let's, let's rotate all the way to the back. I mean, you're right. We've got two corners. We've got Woody and um, who do we think? Graham. Mm, Eaton? sure i don't know mm. cj colden's being talked about I, i've heard yeah. cj colden's name thrown out a lot so we've yeah, got Col- Woody for sure yeah. <laughs> right 
CJ, Key Lawrence, and question marks? To well, I know we've heard people kind of penciled in in places, but until they roll out, I'm not for sure if we can for sure, for sure say who's who and where's where. Unless yeah, I'm way off. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I mean, one thing to think about, first of all, is that OU is going to be playing so much more zone, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and so if you're counting on, you know, not, you know, a guy like a Trey Brown, for example, who was a really good cover guy, you know, you're going to be counting on him. You're not going to have as many guys out there like that. You're going to be looking also at some people who can probably play a little bit more physical there because they'll be more involved in the run fits. Um, so with that in mind, you know, I mean, to me, I, I think Woody Washington is clearly a given at one spot, right? The other side, though, I, I, you, I mean, I think that, you know, Eaton is definitely one who could be in the mix. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Colden, like, uh, like Matt mentioned, is one that I hear a lot. That you, you're, his name comes, seems to come up a lot. And then Kenai Walker, who, you know, is one mm-hmm. of those guys you, you mentioned, don't, don't read too much into those pictures of jacked uh, players, but man, he looks the part. Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, if, if he's anything, you, you can understand why they wanted to bring him in as a transfer. You know what I mean? Like, cause I mean, physically that's what you want. Um, I, so I'm kind of looking, I, I think that you're going to get a competition really at the end of the day between Graham uh, Walker and Colden for that other cornerback spot, you know, and it, it may come down to what is, what are, what kind of skill sets are they looking for at this point? Yeah. I mean, I'll echo all that stuff. The only thing, and we've already mentioned his name once for that nickelback type position. And I, I want to say this in, in my, in my best Southeastern Oklahoma and uh, Southernism type things, uh, but bless his soul. I do. I never want to see Justin Broyles on the field in an OU uniform again. He will be though, more than likely. <laughs> just yeah, I mean, I'd get ready for that. <laughs> uh, but it's not something I want to see. Uh, I saw a few articles. There's, I mean, usually when you start seeing some glowing articles being written about players of like they finally bought in, this is the year, and all that type of stuff. You know, they're in my opinion, that's kind of been fed to a certain degree. Um, for, for who knows why, uh, on all those types of reasons. But Justin has seen a little bit of a glow up in, in, in regards to some uh, local media and some articles being written about him. Uh, I think Sooner SI had something about him, just like the journey he's had and all that type of stuff. Um, it, it's just, you know, the baptism by fire. It's hard not to look at that and look at LSU and think, oh, man, how can this guy yeah. ever have a uniform again? Uh, but he played well he, when he was in this year, uh, had some interceptions, uh, had some stuff there. The issue, the issue for some of these spots is just everyone's young. If it's not those guys we've listed, everyone is young. And that, you know, obviously that's why OU brought in those, those transfers. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's funny, Trey Morrison, uh, without bringing up the roster, I have the official roster in front of me. We have Trey Morrison. He of 5'9", 189 pounds. What do you think his classification is next to his name? Like junior, senior, red shirt, sophomore, all that type of stuff. I'm cheating. I'm cheating. I also have it up. <laughs> uh, is he like junior? Junior. Okay. Uh, since Matt hasn't brought up the uh, the official OU roster, now Billy Bowman it says sophomore, DJ Graham says junior, uh, Trey Morrison okay. it just says fifth year. 
<laughs> I, don't even, <laughs> I don't even know if OU knows what his classification is. <laughs> yeah. At this point yeah. In time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, are we are, are we expecting basically all of these transfers to play an important role to get this team to where they should be at the end of the year? Uh, man, and you know, I, it's something that I've thought about too because I was looking at trying to figure out where Morrison fit in. For example, uh, you know, he he saw a lot of run at the the nickel cheetah position uh, in the spring game, but again, physically he doesn't look like a good match there. But where would he be a good match? I'm you know I'm not not entirely sure. I mean, I I feel pretty confident in the in, when we're talking about the secondary that Colden will somehow factor in here he's he's good man i mean you're talking about a guy who was an all-conference pick last year in the mountain west um and he isn't transferring not to play you know what i mean yeah um you, the others uh, you know i mean i guess we'll just have we'll just have to see i i i, I am not counting on all of the transfers to make a mark this year mm-hmm. um but at you know at least they're getting guys in that are fitting physically what they're looking for. I feel like, and can also you know bring some competition to those spots. I mean, one of the things that really stood out to me last season was how, when, you know, when Woody Washington missed what six games or whatever, yeah. like they didn't have corners ready to go. They had to move over Billy Bowman. They had to move over key Lawrence, you know, I mean, like it just, made you think that the competition at that position was just really lackluster. Yeah. That, that's something that that's something I've always kind of thought about when it comes to certain type of uh, coaching administrations, coaching staffs at certain schools, right? Like Oklahoma, I think, I think you consider Oklahoma a certain type of school that can recruit and attract talent. Um, and you see these certain schools that maybe aren't known for developing um, like a Texas or a Florida um what's another high what's another high recruiting team that doesn't quite seem to put something in places michigan i don't know (laughs) michigan sure we'll say michigan it it almost seems like there's a thought process in my mind and it's something i've kind of like a theory i've been kind of tossing around where it's just kind of talent in talent out like oh well this player's not working we're just recruiting three or four more four stars maybe one of them will work to a certain degree. And you're putting so much effort into that side of it where it's kind of like, well, if this cornerback doesn't work, then we've got so much talent so close to us. We just bring them in. Like, um, you know, like it, it always kind of blows my mind. It's like, why is Miami not good every single year? They're right there. You know, why is Florida mm-hmm. not good? They're right there. And I don't, it does seem to be, even though you're just so close to those pipelines, you still need to coach and develop and, you know, teach that full way through so that when you have to rely on your second, third, you know, God forbid, fourth guys, they're at least coached up enough to know where am I supposed to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to a certain right. Degree. Yeah. When do I get my, how do I get my head around? What am I, what kind of, you know, playing the ball? What, like there was so much that just seemed to be lacking in development there last season. And you look at, then you start looking at some of the numbers. Did you, I mean, like, you know, I was looking at uh, the Havoc stats, for example, OU's defensive backs ranked 123rd in Havoc last year. I mean, that means that those that so that's when Havoc is stuff like tackles for loss, but also interceptions, uh, passes broken up. I mean, 
you know, if we look at the numbers for passes broken up from year to year, I mean, it's like they fell off a cliff. Like 2021, let's see here, OU had 24 PBUs in 13 games, right? 2020, they had 47, and that was in 11 games. 2019, they had 48 in 14 games. So, I mean, like, those guys last year, it's like they just – they couldn't even track the ball. I mean, that's the kind of stuff where, like, they they need to make a serious effort at, at getting those guys coached up because something was lacking there last year. And I do want to – I do wonder how much of that was – I mean, obviously we saw like the TCU game, Quentin Johnson just completely moss every single <laughs> oh, yeah. defensive back they threw at him. But also just how much of it was Grinch's very – and Lincoln as well to a certain degree, and as we've learned potentially why, um, steadfast refusal to bend the structures and systems in which they had in place. So the, the best comparison I can think of, and I've thought about it before. Um, Matt, you're going to help me out because I'm blinking right now. Who's the uh, – um, the Knicks head coach, New York Knicks. Oh, uh, Tom, Tom Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Yeah. Tom Thibodeau. Very structured defense, knows what you're going to happen. If something does something, you know, you know, the center drops, power forward comes up. But the moment you understand the structure of that defense, you can really pick it apart. Now, from a regular season standpoint, like I'm a big San Antonio Spurs fan, obviously, you roll through – San Antonio Spurs won a lot of games because they never – the, the system was in place. Like they could always be all the bad teams on the record on the team. And then, you know, you, you play hard against the good teams, but you have to be able to be flexible enough and multiple enough to understand, Hey, um, that we can't keep letting the, uh, the flat slant combo just be open all day long. <laughs> we have to do something about that. Um, yeah. And it just seemed like Grinch just never did. I mean, I remember the West Virginia game, about midway through the third quarter, they finally had the cornerback step up just slightly, and he like, broke up a pass. I was like, finally, we've done it. Yeah. It took, it took yeah. three and a half quarters to start figuring out. They've got one play, and they keep doing it. Right. So I wonder how much of that was just you've got open guys due to the rigidity of a, of a system versus these guys not being able to make plays. Now I'm hoping it's – obviously you're putting every single hope on – the guys leaving for the issue and <laughs> not the talent that's staying. Um, but who knows, but I want to use that as a way to say, what are we going to consider this to be uh, a success or not? I mean, how are, we have so much unknown about the OU defense rolling into the season. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to toss some numbers at you guys, uh, but just to kind of like point paint a picture so over the last three years for OU's points per play I think that's probably the best way of doing this you know in leagues because there's so many there's so much variance between how many plays are being called and all that type of stuff um, but in 2021 OU was 70th 2020 they were 34th and in 19 they were 67th so obviously they bumped up in 2020 but I'm almost at the point in time of 2020 I think you just kind of wad that up and throw it in the trash because obviously it was yeah. such a strange year uh, yeah, COVID, the defense yeah. was great, and we're all like, "Ooh, a top twenty defense, top twenty-five defense this is amazing." And all these quarterbacks, they're all messed up. Offensive lines across the nation were all jacked up. So, but let's look at Clemson. Clemson in twenty twenty-one, second, twenty twenty, twenty-eighth, and then twenty nineteen, second. Points per play, um, obviously, that's a massive gulf in quality. And the only time they're anywhere near each other was in the COVID year. OU was thirty-fourth, Clemson was twenty-eighth. 
from a points per play thing or just from wherever you guys want to think about it from, Matt, what would you consider to be a success for you year one under Brent Venables for this defense? I mean, are, are you are you are you thinking this needs to be a top 30 defense in SB plus? Do you need to be certain indicators you want to see? Or you just want to see like the general like toughness to come back to OU? Um, yeah, the general toughness, but man, any sort of improvement. I don't I don't expect Brent <laughs> for as for as good as I'm just I'm trying to be like realistic here. Like I'm I'm not saying they're gonna have a top five defense. I think that's a little crazy. Yeah. I but any sort of improvement over last year or the past however many years you want to talk about now. I mean, as long as it's trending in the right direction, the numbers are all trending in the right direction. I'm fine with. It. I have no problem with that because I know that uh, again, uh, it's not going to be a an easy fix. This that's why you know Brent Todd Bates. Miguel Chavis, Jay Valai, all these guys, they're, they're trying to recruit better and they're already recruiting uh, better so far uh, in this upcoming recruiting class. Like it's, that's going to take time before you get to the, Oh, Holy shit. They're top five defense, <laughs> you know, like, which I think, I think will come eventually. I just not this year. I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine them being worse, but also I don't want that to be like famous last words or anything. Um, because there is there there are a ton of uh, like I mean there were a ton of especially on the defensive line a ton of guys left and then you know a ton of guys returning in the secondary so you know it's uh, I'm just gonna like kind of like a wait and see but I do think there will be an improvement I think it's hard not to have an improvement on last year um, specifically I mean the numbers that Allen threw out about you know 24 <laughs> passes broken up on the entire year that's just unacceptable uh pretty much so it's it's gonna be hard not to see improvement I'm I'm not gonna put a number on like hey they need to be top this you know they just need to be better than they were last year for me yeah I mean for me I kind of want to see I kind of I I take a very beaten potatoes approach to football in the sense that, like, if I if I'm out there if I'm if I'm a de- defense and the offense can just turn around and hand the ball off and get three yards anytime it yeah. wants, like your game the game's over, it's done, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and so, like, I want to see OU better against the run this year. I feel like if they start there the rest everything else can kind of fall into place and you know last year essentially what you had was OU was mediocre against the run and really bad against the pass I mean I'm looking at like passing success rate last year OU was 87th but I mean against the run 57th against you know 64th in efficiency 64th in explosiveness like physically OU shouldn't be getting run over by other teams in the big 12 like it should not be happening and so like i want to see them you know that's where i want to see them start i feel like if you see them get better against the run this year a lot of stuff will fall into place defensively um and that's you know kind of one thing that venables has always made a hallmark of his defenses is starting off by not not letting you run wild on them yeah that that is something that as we're seeing more and more stuff happen, um, 
you know, flyover defense to a certain degree. You've got more of that Iowa State thing where they're dropping more three. Um, even Brent, I wanted to bring it up, does seem to be playing more of that inverted Tampa two where mm-hmm. instead of a middle linebacker, like the most classic examples, Brian Erlacher. Now for you young people, that's a, a linebacker <laughs> I, who was very good at playing the Tampa two style. Uh, the middle linebacker would drop in the passing lanes. With the inverted Tampa two, you've got a three safety shell look, and that can be accomplished with a cheetah or a nickelback, which that nickelback at that point in time would be a true safety. And they would drop to the middle of the field as your middle linebacker is becoming a gap defender at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just allows you, in my mind, if you can oscillate between dropping a middle linebacker or uh, bringing up a safety, you can kind of oscillate and, and mess up the timing of some RPO stuff. Because as we've seen, it's like, if the handoff's not there, the slant is. And if you mm-hmm. have a player who's coming into that, into that, you know, inside wide receiver space or time, you're just going to cause that quarterback just to wait half a second. Um, the thing is, that's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing yeah. exactly when to cheat up, should you be cheating up, when you, when you do that stuff. Um, or if uh, Brent has it, has it kind of broken down where anytime they have the cheetah as like that third guy, is he playing more center field? And then he has to, like if it's Canik, that means you're putting a true freshman in center field and saying, play with your eyes, go to where they need you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's difficult. That's very, very difficult for a first-year player, especially a first-year player who played like, what, 2A ball in Kansas? Right. <laughs> he's yeah. got all the physical tools, but it's like he's not going to be – he's going to be seeing a lot of the stuff for the first time ever, uh, even against a Kent State and a UTEP. Um I think we see a pretty pared down defense that is structured uh, hopefully as best they can. Um, Again, kind of referring back to my Ryan Chapman interview. um, It seems to be there's some heated conversations after some, after practices and stuff and Brent being very much so like, this isn't going to cut it. Like we're, we're being very kumbaya and we're putting, we're posting really cool videos about people weighing in and we're, we're doing the whole family atmosphere thing, but it does seem like it's it's business, you know, welcome to the big leagues at this point in time uh, with, with fall camp and, and full swing. Yeah, but I, t- I mean, I take that as a good sign, though. I mean, like if he's able to if he's able to get after him and that, but then everybody still seems to be on board and cool with it. I mean, like that I take that as a good as a good sign. And we only get a very, very varnished look <laughs> at what happens, obviously, you know, uh, behind the scenes. But. Um, I know I would, I, I think that, uh, that speaks well, actually, though, to the way they're coaching them. Well, everyone take a, take a time to, to read that article, uh, written by, uh, Alan, the brain Kenny (laughs) (laughs) on Crimson and Cream really breaks down defensive line, like what to look at, uh, beyond just kind of what we rambled through this time over the overall defense. I'm assuming you're going to do something for linebackers and defensive backs as well. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm kind of, uh, you know, kind of noodling a few things right now. I'm actually more interested. I think next I'll do something on, on the offense because, you know, Levy and Riley take very kind of different approaches. It seems like to, uh, how they want to, you know, kind of set stuff up and manage the overall structure of the offense. Yeah, spoiler alert. Next week, we're going to talk about the offense. And just to give you guys, because I mean, I'm, I'm a real big proponent of points per play and yards per play. But just looking at points per play, uh, OU finished sixth last year. <laughs> the issue is they didn't have a lot of plays. And uh, Ole Miss finished 58th 
<laughs> that said, they just had they snapped a lot more. They snapped the ball a lot, lot more than OU did. Uh, and right now, Vince, I, I feel like I'm I'm maybe being like I'm like trying to be the anchor on the, let's have fun. Leslie, I, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. <laughs> it, it's in my mind. I'm like, there's just gonna be a lot of junk plays to a certain degree. And I'm not a big fan of junk plays. I'm a fan of plays that work and you're trying to score every single time. But in order to get 75 plays per game, you're just going to have a wide receiver screen just to toss it, just to get the defense widened up a little bit. Or or just like power plays right up the middle with no chance to succeed. Yeah. Well, one one thing though that that is nice is that like you can go through and find studies in terms of you know, offenses that pair with uh, high temp up tempo offenses that pair with D de- how they pair with different defenses for example. And, you know, like Grinch actually, uh, you know, was supposedly paired was supposed to pair really well with an up tempo offense. The funny mm-hmm. part of that was <laughs> Riley. Uh, oh, you played at a crawl with Riley there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so one thing that I, that I do take heart in is that, if OU is going to be running up tempo, I mean, like Venables is as good as you can get with pairing a defensive scheme to, or, you know, system to an up tempo offense. So that's definitely one thing to, uh, to keep in mind too, going forward. Yeah. That's something too. I was, I was reading uh, Alan's uh, Twitter at a blatant homerism uh, on, on Twitter when you're talking about uh, Spencer Rattler. And I think we can get a, a somewhat kind of uh, thing with uh, Dylan Gabriel, obviously not as arm talented, but just run the ball downhill, snap the ball fast and let the quarterback throw the football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just don't, of, don't not, not too much thinking. Just yeah, go play, 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 play. Um, Matt, you have anything you want to wrap us up on any, any last thoughts or anything about the defense and, uh, or just maybe, maybe what, what do you want us to talk about a little bit about the offense next week? Oh man. Uh, I, I know we're, we'll get into it, but man, we, we got to talk about the offensive line. Cause I just, I don't know what to think. I, I don't, I do not know what to think, but I definitely want to get into some offensive line. Cause I think, I think the skill positions are kind of like outside of maybe receiver. I think they're kind of set. Okay. Okay. You think the skill positions are set. Okay. I, I'm, I'm the skill outside of maybe here. outside of maybe a receiver, but like, I mean, yeah, yeah like Eric Gray will get a ton of work. <laughs> like, yeah. I, mean, yeah. uh, I think uh, Marcus Major might, Javante Barnes might, but I think Eric mm-hmm. Gray is going to get a lot of work. Okay. Well, everyone, uh, thank you for listening to Through the Keyhole. Uh, I am Peyton Guthrie, uh, and for Alan and Matt, it's been a wonderful. You can uh, always join us on uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google Music, whatever, whatever spot, whatever thing you, you listen to podcasts on, it's there. Rate us, share us, uh, have a fun time with us. And if you want to have more stuff like this and read some articles, uh, we'll be doing a pick them thing too as the season comes up. Uh, join us on the Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. We'd love to have you. It's just $4 a month. That's not even a cup of coffee now for inflation. Uh, so help us out. Uh, um, and then uh, without any further ado, Matt, I know you've got one thing you got left for us. Hit me with it. Boomer. Boomer.